to another episode of Certified Forgotten. This is, of course, the horror podcast where we talk about movies that have five or fewer reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. If that was what you were looking for, you're in the right place. I am, as always, Donato always gives me shit because I do the same intro, but I am one half of your mats. I am Matt Monagle, and I am joined by my intrepid co-host, Matt Donato. How you doing, buddy? Good, and I'm not going to give you shit this time because you know what? We are two mats that make one whole mat, and I'm okay with that. I figure if you have a good patter at the beginning of a podcast, you don't change it. Yeah, cycle, repetition, you know, that's what keeps people coming back. Familiarity, comfort, those are the words I would use. But then when I just do things like put a little dramatic piano in there. Oh, God. You never should have told me how to use the sound effects. You really never should have. I made the mistake of allowing Donato to be the host uh, this time around, and that does come with all of the uh, the streaming service that we use the live chat service we use has a bunch of piano effects in there so i don't know what he's programmed i i can't tell you what's going to come up later but we're not here to talk about donato's ability to fuck with our soundboard we're here to talk about horror and this week we have i mean i'm just going to say it probably the guy that's watched more horror movies than anybody i know certainly anybody that i've heard of donato introduce our royalty guest yeah, absolutely. And you know, like I do want to say as someone who watches as many horror movies as I do, I, honestly, I got the idea from people like who I'm about to introduce. Uh, you know him from Horror A Day. You know him from Collins Crip on Birth Movies Death. It's Mr. Brian Collins. Say hello. Hello. I, I'm not a Matt. I feel left. I feel kind of like a third wheel here. You know, it, it's kind of better this way. You, you don't want to be one of us because we had uh, Barone on one time, Matt Barone, <laughs> and it was just a clusterfuck yeah. of, so Matt, what do you think about this? And then everyone's sitting there silently going like, well, which Matt is he talking about? Yeah, it was just a wall of Matt's and Jersey accents is what happened on that podcast. <laughs> oh, it was aggressive. It was aggressive. Well, Brian, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, this the, the first part of our podcast, we always like to talk about um, kind of the background of horror for our guests and how they got into it. And I, I, we're going to talk about horror movie a day in a minute, but like, let's look back even, even farther than that. You know, what were your earliest entrances into the genre? Like, were you one of those VHS kids, one of those video store kids? Like, when did you start watching horror movies? Oh, uh, I always feel bad because I I don't want anybody to think my mom was like this terrible absentee, horrible person, but I, I was watching them at like five or six because uh, she took me to see Poltergeist two when that came out in theaters and I had already seen the first one, and it came out in theaters just after, not too long after my sixth birthday. So uh, I guess I just had the interest because it wasn't like she was like, "You're gonna watch this," you know. Like I, I, I enjoyed it. I'd be asking her like, "Oh, let's watch this." And that. Um, so you know, yeah, very young. I mean, Gremlins. Um, just just to, for people that don't memorize release dates, so this would be like eighty six, eighty seven. Um, and uh, but then I moved up to the harder stuff, like R-rated stuff. I think when I was seven or eight, and I, I distinctly remember she rented Friday the Thirteenth four, five, and six at a time when the seven was not out on video yet. So this would have been at the latest, like spring into summer '88, uh, when I was eight years old, already watching the Friday Thirteenth, and I think I had seen Chainsaw Massacre at that point as well. Um, so yeah, it's just been a constant kind of thing, almost as long as I can remember watching movies at all. What was it? You, did you remember as a kid, kind of like what initially drew you to it? Like what was no, I, I think it might have been, it had to have been Gremlins, I think, because I had that, um, older listeners will remember these things. You'd get a tape with a storybook 
you know, cassette tape and you'd listen to the story and there'll be a little chime to turn the page. If you go on YouTube, I'm sure somebody has uploaded the whole tape. Those um, are great. And I have, and it, to this day, when I watch Gremlins, I can hear the chime at certain points, like after a certain amount of dialogue or whatever, I expect to hear that chime. Uh, but I don't know what it was like versus, I mean, because I say all this and then I always like throw in the fact that I didn't see Star Wars until I was a senior in high school. Like I, I, those movies completely passed me by. Um, the second time I ever saw st the first, you know, New Hope was when they did that re-release, uh, the special edition re-releases. So, uh, you know, people, oh, you know, the original versions, it means nothing to me. I'm more familiar with right. that other one. Um, uh, and I, I distinctly remember when I went to the bathroom at one point, I came back and asked my friend, like, what did I miss? And he's like laughing his ass off, like, oh, classic cons. What a great gag. What did you miss? I'm like... Yeah, no, really, I don't remember what happened in that scene because I've seen this movie once before. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was always just horror instead of, like, the normal stuff kids would, like, gravitate to with that, you know, in the 80s, like the you know, the Star Wars and the Indiana Jones, also another thing I didn't see until later. So I have a question for you then. Uh, you know, playing off of that, just playing off the sense that, number one, I understand because as someone who's, yeah, I dove into horror headfirst recently and it's all I watch and it is hard to keep up with everything else when you do go to the horror genre so hard. Mm -hmm. It just becomes like, what can I digest? What can I take? But I'm curious to hear from your perspective then, what is the Star Wars of the horror genre in your eyes? Like what's that one franchise that when someone says they haven't seen it yet, you're like, oh wait, you have to go see this. It's, I, mean, I guess it would, it would probably have to be the Friday the 13th, I think, just because there's more of a consistency there, you know, like the, the Halloween series just goes completely up and down. And, you know, I think, I think the Nightmare on Elm Street's do too. Um, and the other, you know, they, they all just become kind of a mess, but like Friday 13th always had like a free even both, you know, audience reception, obviously some made more money than others, but there's no, you know, there's no outright horrible entry the way we look at, Halloween Resurrection or, you know, the Nightmare Remake or like the director video Hellraisers or, uh, you know, the, the last, uh, you know, our Chainsaw 4, you know, like there's no like yeah. obvious low hanging fruit target for the Friday 13th series. I mean, yeah, like people obviously will rank them all the time. Obviously, there's going to be some at the bottom, but there's not a lot of consistency there um, the way you find it with the other franchises. And there's just something that's just like, they're more comfort foody, I think. I think because they're so simple, there's no, there's no like mythology to get into, the way that you kind of had to like follow along, like on Halloween with like the cult shit and all that other nonsense, or you know, or weird like complete diversions. You know, it's just always just Friday the Thirteenth, and I think that's you know similar to Star Wars in a way that like you recognize that world even those different creators come and go there you, you you know you don't even need to see jason to kind of know like all right this is this is definitely a friday 13th not a freddy movie not a you know texas chainsaw or whatever and it's funny you're talking about that because i think there have been times when actually everyone on this podcast was playing the friday the 13th video game at the same time nice. and we just didn't know it at the time because i know <laughs> i've played with both of you uh, outside of you know the same game but i'm almost positive we played together and i think it's for that reason why the game works a little bit and just like not even oh, to talk sure. about the game but it's just funny that you say how the friday uh, 13th franchise it is a hundred percent you can pick it up at any point yep. you know what's going to happen you know what the structure is 
And it's funny to think about that in the game sense, how we all just kind of jumped into games and each each time we played was like a different sequel almost. Yeah. No, so, I mean, when I die in that game, I never understood the people that would like quit out. I'm like, why are you quitting? Oh, this is great. Now I get to watch this like little, you know, 20 minute, <laughs> you know, if I die first, which is often because I'm not that good at it, um, <laughs> you know, nearly 20 minute, you know, a little slasher movie, you know, you switch the cameras around, you get a chase, you know, and it's like the, you know, Harry's music is pumping. And I'm like, this is great. I'm just sitting there with my drink. And then like, all right, the match is over. It's time to play again. Like, You're oh, like, wait, I just want to watch right, some more. Right, I could do that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get yeah, killed apparently again. You've never played with Donato when he's in a particular mood because that kind of, that, that when he is Jason, that takes all of the fun out of it because he's just an asshole. There's no other way yeah. to put it. I try to be fair when I'm Jason. I don't kill anybody right away. Like I let them like find their bearings, maybe find an item. There uh, are I, rules. I mean, you know, yeah. it, 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 there are rules to the horror genre. There's rules to playing Jason. Yeah. No, there's not. The rule when I play Jason is if you don't get away from me quick enough, you die. I don't care how quick that takes. When people had microphones, I would ask them trivia if I was Jason. I'd get up <laughs> and I'd be like, I'd be like, you know, like who directed Manhattan, you know, and if they could answer correctly, I'd be like, all right, bye. And I just leave, <laughs> warp away. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, yeah. I wish I could have like. I wish I could have watched that game. Like I die yeah. early, and I just watch you asking yeah. randos trivia, and be like, "Wait, what?" That would be now. Somebody's got to write a horror movie about like a horror icon who kills if they don't know the trivia to their own horror movie lexicon. <laughs> oh man, I would watch the shit out of that. Wait, did you just write Scream Five? Probably. Shit. Who knows? All I know is David Arquette is back. Um. Oh, that was a good tangent. Uh, Brian, I want to ask you, um, too, about Horror Movie A Day, because I think that's, for a lot of folks, myself included, that was sort of the introduction to your work. Mm-hmm. And you made it through, was it 2,500 films, 2,500 yeah, days? Yeah, it was 2,500, yeah. It, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't 2,500 days, because there'd be, like, festivals and stuff where I was watching sure. more than one a day. So it was just a little over six years all in. So whatever that math is, 1,830 days, whatever it was. Yeah. And you did, you did. A, I mentioned this when we were talking, Larry. You did a really good interview with uh, IndieWire with Matt Singer, where yeah. you kind of talked about it. You took what I appreciated is, is kind of like a, a larger lens in terms of how it affected relationships and your marriage, and some, you know, not just the like, how do I find a new thing to watch every day, but yeah. how, I guess how do you feel about it now with a little bit of distance between the project and you? I'm amazed when I look at it, like how did I do it? <laughs> like you know, like I mean, right now, not to bring it all down to this constant topic, but like. I'm home every day, right? I've been home for two months Mm -hmm. and I think I've watched less movies, you know, like somehow. I've only updated the site. For for those who don't read it, uh, you know, I I, I still update the site occasionally, but it's more like horror movie a week now. Um, You know, it's just like, how did did I do this when I went to work every day, when I went out with my friends? You know, (laughs) like, I can't imagine having that time now to both read, you know, watch the movie and write the review up after um but it's just it's just a weird way that time kind of shifts around and uh but yeah i mean i, I kind of miss it sometimes i do because what happens now i actually kind of get jealous of you do not know because you know i see you watching these like batshit you know who in god's name wanted to see this movie kind of things um you know not necessarily asylum mockbusters but on that similar level and like, I don't have time to watch any of those anymore. Like whenever I do watch something, it's usually like, I heard this was really good. I got it, you know, a, a disc delivered to me to review from, you know, Screen Factory or Arrow or Vinegar Syndrome or whatever. Um, 
you know, I don't go out and just like, all right, what am I going to watch today? And like go into Netflix and just scroll around until I find something I haven't seen yet. Because that used to be part of the process. So it's just like, I wonder how much just, you know, the, the Kathy's Curse kind of movies of the world, like modern, that I'm missing. Because I just don't, you know, that's just not a thing anymore. I'm going to only watch, you know, what I hear about or what, what, what specifically catches my interest versus... Well, I need a movie to get today, and this monster movie is there, and I'll watch that because I just had to watch something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was um, going to say, don't be a specific don't be too desire jealous. to watch. Yeah, there's a specific desire, but I mean, there's a charm in watching that stuff too. And then you know, again, it's like you know, you watch seven or eight movies. If one of them's a gem, that's actually a pretty good batting average. You know? No, um, totally. And I think like to go off what you were saying, like a hundred percent. Number one. Don't be too jealous because yeah. <laughs> you have much more important things to do. Like you actually have like a kid and are like yeah. raising a life. <laughs> like, I will watch the evil little doll movie that no one's going to see because it's terrible. You keep doing important things. But uh, no, I, th- I think that is, you know, that's the charm of horror day too. And that's the charm of exactly what you said is when I get through seven or eight, I think that's actually a very fair average to say, like it takes me a good eight, like one to two star reviews before mm-hmm. I find that ninth film that's yeah. like recently for me was like mutant blast. And mm-hmm. it's a film that I knew nothing about. It hit trauma VOD out of nowhere. And Rob Hunter randomly was like, Oh shit. I saw this at Toronto after dark. I love this film. And it's still like Rob Hunter was the only one that liked it. And no mm-hmm. one was still talking about it. And no one knew what this movie was, but you know, I, I have the time right now. Um, yeah. Honestly, for me, not to bring it up like you said Collins but it, it's it's where we are right now we're all home and for me I've found comfort in the fact that I will just keep writing just to keep going so I find that mutant blast I find those weird gems and yeah most of them are going to suck but when you find that one that's so good mm-hmm. that, that it brings it right back to the horror day stuff and not not to nerd out but I remember reading one of your entries and feeling like a kinship in a way because you were writing about like you had a, a wedding weekend and right. I forget, you know, what movies you had to watch, but you're like, listen, I got to do this. I'm staying the course. We're, g- we're going to get through this. <laughs> and it was your journey of like having to watch a movie. Like, I forget where you did it, like before the reception or like you're squeezing it in anywhere you can. <laughs> and it was like that weekend I was kind of reading it. I was going to a wedding and I made my <laughs> girlfriend lay in bed while I watched uh, The Greasy Strangler. And right. she's just going like, we have a wedding to be at in like an hour. And I'm like, we're going to get through the greasy strangler. <laughs> it was funny when it got embarrassing at one point. I remember I was, I was at Comic-Con and um, uh, this, I didn't have a portable DVD player. This might've been why I ended up getting a portable DVD player. And uh, I check in my hotel and, you know, I have a, I bring a regular DVD player to hook up to the TV inside the hotel room. And the the video input on the TV is busted. TV itself works, but the video input doesn't. I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? Like, I can't just assume there's going to be a horror movie on TV that I can watch. And even if there wasn't, like, it's, you know, and I got to, you know, be able to, like, pause it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Rewind, yeah. uh, break, you know, break it up because I have a half hour here and 40 minutes here or whatever. So I have to go down to the front desk. Now, again, this is Comic-Con. I don't know if you, do, you guys go. But Comic-Con, like the hotel situation there is a fucking nightmare. Right. Uh, rooms book up instantly. Everybody's scrambling. People are like packing like six people into a room because there's no availability. And I had to go down to the front desk and be like, um, yeah, excuse me. Like, I 
I think it is, is it possible to switch rooms? They're like, oh, it's something wrong with the room. I'm like, no, the room's fine. I'm like, it's just the TV. The TV's broken. I'm like, not necessarily the TV. The video input of the TV's broken. And this lady's just staring at me like, what the fuck is a video input? What are you talking Like, why do you need this? Like, it's a hotel. You go to bed. You go, that's it. Um, but luckily, it was like, it was Wednesday or Thursday. So not everybody was there yet. They still had empty rooms. So they were able to switch me into one. Mm-hmm. Presumably, the whoever got the one I originally had did not need the video input. And I just remember feeling so stupid. Like, I, I would rather do this, embarrass myself and look like a weirdo in the front desk. And, you know, probably piss them off having to switch me around rather than just be like, hey, guys, sorry, something came up. I have to skip three days, you know, Um, but I got the portable after that. So I never had to worry about anybody's video inputs ever again. Um, And uh, but yeah, like times like that, it would just be funny. It was just like I was so dedicated to not missing a day. (laughs) Like who would have known? I could have just like. I think I forget who it was. Somebody thought I was like banking the reviews. Like I just like literally just have a review to post every day. I'm like, no, I'm watching it every day. Like if anything, it's the other way around. Like it, sometimes I would go, you know, especially like things like Comic Con or if like going on vacation or whatever, uh, the reviews would kind of back up because I'd be watching but not have time to write anything. And then, you know, it'd be like a week later, I'd be like, all right, here's all the reviews. And I'd be like, all right, so that movie I watched, the Children of the Corn ripoff that I watched last week. What was that one? Yeah, okay, what can I say about that? But never banking the review ahead of time. Yeah, Yeah, what's insane to me is like you were living the festival lifestyle for like multiple years because (laughs) that just brings me right back to exactly like you said. You you see a movie and you got to cram out a review and you keep yourself on a schedule and I mean, that's exhausting. So the fact that you were able to keep that as long as you could, because again, even me doing my stuff right now, it's still like, you know, the most I'll hit is like five reviews a week. And I need that break. I need to step away and be like, okay, I just reviewed creepy tales of pizza and gore, evil little fucking things like dumbass ghost movie number 17. I'm like, I need to go just not go insane. Yeah. So the fact that you just kept doing it is is a testament <laughs> to your dedication and also insanity. Yes. Yeah, it's definitely a good mix of both. Uh, <laughs> well, let me ask, because Donato brought up festivals, and I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, I think of a lot of the referrals that we, we usually ask our guests about sort of the festival scene and getting referrals, getting stuff recommended by other people that are seeing things on the festival. How do you think that's changed? Because I feel like when you were doing this, especially, you know, at the peak years of this, the horror festival scene wasn't quite the same that it is now. It didn't have the kind of the ever presence, you know, you didn't have every city with a dedicated horror film festival. So the discovery process must've been a lot harder. Yeah. And I started, I mean, fantastic fest was something I kind of hit near the end of it. I think the first time I went to was 2011 and you know, I wrapped it up in 2013. So, um, that was only two fantastic fests where I got to go to, to, to kind of, um, you know, find new stuff. Um, we have Scream Fest here in LA, which is always good because it's completely indie. Um, we have Shriek Fest. So, you know, the festivals are always fun. It was fun for me just because it wasn't just me sitting at home with a DVD or a Blu-ray. But at the same time, it was like, oh, these are, it's hard to review those movies honestly the way I do. Because, you know, it's, it's especially at the Indie Fests, it's like, well, you know, these guys haven't even been picked up yet. And, I didn't, you know, this was my movie for the day. I thought for sure I'd like it, and it turns out it sucked. And I was just like, all right, what do I do? Do I break the concept? Do I break tradition? 
for this one movie for these people that probably won't care anyway or you know do i keep it going um so that 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 always kind of I, I eventually i i would watch a movie earlier in the day like a regular movie that got released that way if it that what i saw at the festival turned out to suck i just ignore it and just review whatever that other thing was and you know if the movie at the festival movie was good i'd ignore the other thing so i had to start kind of doing that um but yeah it's, it's, the discovery process is harder i think because of social media now like i didn't have like twitter wasn't around the first well i think it, it might have been there but it wasn't a thing when i first started doing it and now it's like oh, how often do you get to find a movie you know unless you happen to be there at that premiere at overlook or fantastic fest or fantasia you know wherever it happens to premiere uh, you're the only one that ever gets that completely untainted experience Every, you know everybody else that wasn't there which is usually myself because i don't get to go to a lot of the festivals anymore now that i have a kid um it's like i don't get to discover that anymore and now i know that it blew the you know blew the roof off of this place and now my my uh anticipation for it is a lot higher than it should be you know so that's that whole thing so again that's kind of why i like the you know the screen screen fest because they are smaller films that haven't premiered yet anywhere else i do get to kind of discover those they may not be the the big your nexts or hereditary kind of like where the fuck did this movie come from you know that kind of thing but at least i can go in totally blind and still have that i have no idea what i'm in for but i'm excited to find out kind of thing yeah, and I think Screenfest is, you know, good for that exactly in that way because you're going to see Hereditary on yeah. the, or, you know, you're going to see it in the theaters. You're going to see the big things that it's awesome to see an A24 film before everyone at Fantastic. Don't get me wrong, you know, and seeing St. Maud that early and then having it get canceled, especially now. And it's, and, you know, it'll, it'll come out someday. But there is something cool about that. But in the same respect, I think there's something way cooler about what you said about discovering something. You know, the discovery process is truly gone, just like just like you noted. Uh, an Overlook premiere is still going to have a full theater. Even more so, a South By premiere is going to have packed houses. And it's not just a few people saying this is good. All of a sudden, when you get that film that quote-unquote blew the, blew the roof off, it's hundreds of people saying that. And the anticipation, right, rightfully so, skews upward. And then how many times, you know, Pet Cemetery comes out, a, a film that I enjoyed, the Pet Cemetery remake. I, I was one of the critics that loved it out of South by. And then all of a sudden it hits theaters and everyone's kind of going, well, so that wasn't as good as South by people said. Rah, 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 rah. It, it's it, there's the festival hype is real and it's sometimes really hard to navigate on both sides, I think. Yeah. So I always try to, you know, I, I don't get when people are fantastic press, they are so hell bent on seeing the secret screenings and i'm like why it's whatever it is it's going to be a movie that's coming out you know like i would much rather go to this weird indonesian thing that no one might ever see again you know there have been several uh fantastic fest movies i've gone to that never came out in the united states and it's just like wow thank god i saw that and went to that movie versus fighting everybody else to go see you know split or whatever you know one of the secret sequences were um you know i remember I, it's not you know it's not horror but uh boy and his samurai which is absolutely wonderful movie um uh 
forget what Fantastic Fest it was. It was it was a while ago. I want to say it was like 2011 or 12. Has still not received a U.S. release here. You know. Yeah, I've got some on my list that do, do the same thing. It's like I keep a running tally throughout the year of what I see in distribution, and I've been carrying over some films, for, like you just said, from Fantastic Fest three years ago. That's like, oh, still undistributed. Like yeah, Livid, even, you know, that's a horror example. Livid from the guys made Inside. Exactly. Um, still not released in the U.S., but maybe never will be because it was bought by the fucking Weinstein's. Um, so it's just like, oh, well, yeah, I'm obviously very happy I went to that versus the advanced screening of, you know, uh, you know whatever the hell. Big movie Dol- I mean, Dolomite last year. What was it? Yeah. I'm trying machete to think Machete Kills year. or whatever the fuck. Right. right ex- you know? Exactly. Yep. The Machete movies. One one year it was, I, I forget what it was, but like one year it was like zombie ass Toil of the Dead. And it's like, that's the one I want to go to. I want to be yeah. there when they play zombie ass as the secret screening. And I think yeah. Ted Gagan <laughs> was saying like, he's like, I'm in the audience going, yes, this is awesome. And he's like, uh, he's like three fourths of my theater walked out. And it's like, <laughs> so you're going to leave the truly secret thing that is yeah. insane to watch for the first time. But you know, of course mm-hmm. it'll be there for split. Well, all I can say in that discussion is that we're not going to be talking about a movie on splits caliber. I think, this would be one of the the fantastic fest screenings that uh, didn't get as much of a turnout, but ended up enduring a little bit more. Um, so let's jump into let's talk about today's film. We're gonna come back in just a second, and when we do, we're going to have accidentally done the the sequel to a, the the first movie in a series. Uh, it's a confusing situation. We'll talk about it. In a second. Welcome back. So we are here today to talk about Cold Prey. Um, it is the film that, that Brian has brought for us. And actually, if you go back and look at some of the interviews that he's done and some of the conversations he's had with other critics about horror, it's one that keeps coming up. And we're doing this a little weird on Certified Forgotten because we've actually talked about, if you remember, we've talked about Cold Prey 2 uh, on our fifth episode. Rob Hunter, who recommends more Fantastic Fest films than anyone else, came on the show and talked about Cold Prey 2 and now we're doing the, the original film with Brian Collins. Nice symmetry to it. But Cold Prey is a 2006 film directed by Roar Utag, who American audiences might know is the guy who directed the big-budget Tomb Raider remake. And it is a Norwegian slasher. It follows a group of uh, friends who go out on the mountainsides, go out, ski the back of a mountain during a holiday. Uh, one of them ends up getting hurt, and the group ends up taking refuge in an old abandoned ski resort where... One of the previous inhabitants still haunts the halls and collects a lot of trophies from a lot of dead skiers. It is a personal favorite of mine, so I'm very glad that Brian brought it on the show. But I don't want to actually, I want to start by asking Donato what he thought of this because you are the only one here who watched them out of order, Donato. So what did you think having watched two and then one? I'm still able to appreciate both of them. I'm still very much capable of saying, 
slashers have gotten a quote-unquote bad name like kind of post scream i would say like scream kind of redefined things and we just never got back to where slashers quote-unquote were if we're talking about the 80s some people think that's a good thing some people think that's a bad thing i would argue and say movies like cold prey have been continuing the slasher mythos and trends the entire time but no one's watching them and cold prey is another one that i would rank up with uh, lake bodum and party hard die young as these international slasher films that i feel like american slashers nowadays are trying to reach back on nostalgia and recreate where it seems like international slashers are re-envisioning what we used to have in a different way and that's what makes me more excited and cold prey is a fantastic example of how you take nothing but a simple stalk and kill scenario just make it tense as fuck and just go for the kill i mean it's just really deadly and really gruesome and it's able to keep that cold, chilly atmosphere sustained through the entire time. All right. Brian, this is your pick. What made this the one you want to bring to us? Uh, <laughs> because because it actually has zero reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. I think. I, think I remember, you know, D'Amato pitched the, the, the show to me and was like, right, I'm, I'm, and I'm just thinking, like, how the hell am I going to find, you know, a movie I like that doesn't even have five reviews? Like, this is this is impossible. What a weird, like... Don't, ugh, weird hole they dug themselves and i'm like and the first one i looked up wasn't cold prey or something else i don't even remember now but it had it actually qualified too it had like three or four uh and i'm just like i don't really you know that's just an example i don't even really want to talk about that movie i'm like mm, what else and i'm just trying to think of movies that i like that i knew kind of went under the radar i'm like oh what, what cold prey maybe i can luck out with that and i was like zero reviews this movie has no footprint whatsoever on the old tomato meter and I'm always happy to talk about cold prey. So it's just like perfect choice. Boom. So yeah, that, I mean, it's just like, like you, you know, you were saying, um, post stream. Yeah. There was, there was that talk. I remember like, Oh, we can ever go back. Like you can't just do a normal slasher movie anymore. Cause like they've kind of taken the piss out of it, you know, like, oh, I don't know if I believe that, but you know, Hollywood apparently did because they stopped making them, you know, they did a few, it was that mini wave post screen, but they were all kind of had that same sort of scream attitude, you know, it was just a little bit winky, even the, you know, they're maybe not necessarily referencing other horror movies, but they were clever and hip. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't, there was always like a kind of a gimmick to it. Uh, and, you know, then they all died out again. They started not making money and, you know, the things switched over to, to torture, you know, the, the hardcore stuff. Um, and that slasher wave just completely died. But like I said, you know, foreign audience, foreign countries, they were just, all right, well, we're going to keep just doing what we do, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, Anchor Bay picked this one up. It's a Norwegian movie. So, you know, it could have just gone completely unrecognized here. But luckily, Anchor Bay picked it up. Um, and we give it a dub, which we don't need to watch. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the, the subtitles are fine. There's not a lot of dialogue. Um, I never. I don't think it's out on Blu-ray yet, and I, you know, I don't. I don't even know if Anchor Bay exists anymore. So I hope it's not too too hard to find. But it it definitely deserves uh, de- deserves more love than it got. That's for sure. Yeah, I can confirm as uh, you know as I went to watch Cold Prey today because I'm very good at being ahead of the game. Um, <laughs> it, it's not available to stream anywhere. It's not even rentable on Amazon. It's not anywhere that you can find it. 
So great. Let's just say I had to order it to buy on Amazon. And what I mean by that is I had to go find a link. And the minute that I can buy it on Amazon, I will gladly give them my money because again, I'm very happy to own this film. Yeah. I think when you picked this one, Brian, I was like, Oh, I'll go look it up. And then I remember the only reason that I had seen it the first time is because I'd rented it from Vulcan video RIP. Um, And there, I think there is, there is something, you know, a, a lot of what we talk about on the show is kind of how these movies get forgotten, things of that nature, but it's, kind of refreshing to be able to watch something that isn't available on digital platforms to, to watch something that is, that is this quality in particular. Cause you can always find, you know, there's a lot of VHS titles out there, or DVD titles out there that are worth watching, but you're not necessarily going to show them to a group of people and have them appreciate it in the same way you are, unless, you know, you have a lot of like-minded friends. But the thing about something like cold prey is I feel like I could show this to a group of people that don't care about horror, but are, you know, like, Oh, let's go. Let's, show me a scary movie. Let's watch something that's kind of spooky. And this is such an effective slasher and such a smart slasher that it has broad appeal. Like anybody that wants to watch a scary movie would like this movie in particular. And you have to commit to it. You have to go seek out a physical copy of it in order to watch it. Yeah. I mean, my, uh, my wife, I, I rewatched it last night and um, my, my wife actually sat and watched part of it again. Again, she has already seen it. She recognized it even. I mean, she's not a big horror person and I mean, you know, and my review was uh, 2009 or 10, which so that was probably when she watched it. So we're talking a decade and she still was like, oh, yeah, this one, like, you know, like, oh, this one stuck out of all the crap that she watched with me back in back in the day. You know, before we had a kid, she used to kind of, you know, sit in for more of this stuff um, than she does now. Um, it's just like wow like obviously makes an impact if somebody that does not have much of an interest in the stuff can not only recognize it but like enjoy watching it you know a chunk of it again it doesn't require you know horror 101 you know knowledge you know if, if a complete newcomer watching scream a lot of that's going to go over their head they're going to be like Wait, what like what is the fuck like what is this randy guy talking about um you know this doesn't operate under that same rule you know it's just a straight ahead you know like almost i'm not saying it's at the same level of quality but like almost the way the original halloween was where it's so simple and yet just done perfectly for what it is you know the plot is you already said the plot it's you know <laughs> some kids go yeah. get snowboarding one gets hurt they go to a house there's a killer there and he kills them all. boom that's it it's not complicated it's just effective and that's you know something that i think got missing uh, something got lost along the way. Well, yeah, I think the simplicity is something that a lot of people get wrong. And a lot of horror filmmakers, as we mentioned before, you know, especially at stateside, they wanted to get cute with slashers and they wanted to start doing things that were different. And that's, that is fine. I'm not, I'm in no way naysaying that, but what happens is you lose touch with what the slashers were originally about, which again is typically younger characters stuck in a scenario where they're probably not going to live, but the dread is still there. The danger is still there and the threat is still there. When you start getting too cute with the comedy, when you start getting too cute with things like that and you can't pull it off, that's what's going to kind of sink your ship, so to say. But Cold Prey, as you have just said, snow skiers and snowboarders hold up in a lodge and there is something there that should not be there. Simple, absolutely cut and dry. And even getting back to you know your wife recognizing the film, I think that's even looking at the DVD cover now on my computer screen, it kind of has this grayish overtone. It's like more monochromatic. There's not a lot of color. It's 
it's very dark, not dark, but it's very grim, I would say. Yeah. And blue. Yeah, yeah. Heavy blues, heavy, heavy grimness. It, it works. It gives it its own unique identity. And it just gives you this sense, again, of, of gravity and graveness. It's almost like a graveyard kind of aesthetic. Yeah, there's not, I mean, there's some humor in it, but it's, you know, it's character humor. It's, it's you know, right. friends. And I mean, we, we can talk a little bit more about this in a second, but before I get ahead of myself, um, you know, it's like they'll make a little wisecrack to each other that feels like a natural thing a friend would say. It's not like they're making a joke, you know, and that's what kind of works about it. Um, but the other thing, just to go back to the friends thing, you know, be watching it now. Like I, I know I've seen it again at some point in between when I first saw it in 2009 or 10 and now I know I watched it at one other point, but it's been at least probably five, six years anyway. So obviously I've seen a lot of stuff since then and it was remind, I forgot how likable the kids were. And that is something that has definitely gone astray over the years. And also that their inner group drama doesn't make them unlikable you know their inner group drama is the main girl isn't sure she wants to move in really wants her boyfriend to move in with her and he kind of does want to move in with her which is a nice kind of flip it's usually the guy that doesn't want to commit you know the the other couple is the you know she the girl's a virgin she's not sure she's ready yet you know and the guy's kind of pissed off at first but then he's like you know, because he thinks, obviously, she's not a virgin. And, you know, when he finds out she is, he's like, oh, my God, I'm a fucking asshole. Like, I'm the worst. You know, he's not like, you know, he doesn't get, like, meaner about it. You know, he's like, instantly, like, Jesus Christ, what a shithead I am. Uh, and tries to make a breakfast and stuff, you know. So it's like, okay, these are relatable, for lack of a better word, sweet-natured kind of problems. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. they're not, because nowadays, like, the one I always just keep thinking of, it just pissed me off so much was the Chainsaw 3D where Daddario, 40-year-old Alexander Daddario, <laughs> um, her, uh, her boyfriend is fucking her best friend, which is A, obnoxious, but B, she never even finds out about it. Like, the boyfriend and the girl and the other girl die before she's ever made privy to this. So it's like, why did you introduce this element that has no payoff on anything? You know, like, there's zero... It had zero bearing on her, on Daddario, you know, and all it did was just make me dislike, you know, the two other main characters in the movie for no reason. And like, the, I've seen that in so many, so many uh, uh, slashers, body count kind of movies over the past decade or so, where it's just constantly like, you know, the lead is either having an affair, like she's fucking her boyfriend's best friend, or her best friend's fucking her boyfriend. You know, there's always something that, because it's like, oh, we need to create drama. Like, well, why can't you create drama that's relatable and nice? It's, you know, like this movie did. It wasn't difficult for them to just be like, all right, what can we do to develop these characters a bit? How about one of them just doesn't, isn't sure she wants her boyfriend to move in yet? Boom, done. And it gives the movie a nice little thing where she, you know, spoiler, I, I guess, um, you know, the, the topic comes up that, you know, he kind of wants to move in. She's not sure she wants him to move in with her. She realizes that the guy is kind of great. She slips her house key into his pocket for him to find later. You know what I mean? Like, it's this nice little runner. And he's just like, okay, now I like both of these people. I want them to live. Fuck, one of them doesn't. Now I'm kind of bummed about it. Um, you know, but it's just like, it, it makes it seem so simple. And yet so many slashers just cannot 
find themselves able to get that little bit across. And even the fifth wheel guy, the 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 you know the the, the forgotten Weasley brother there, the guy that gets hurt, um, <laughs> Morton Tobias. Martin Tobias. Yeah, why they, they always say his full always name. Always say his full name. Yeah, very strange. Um, I'm like, is it another one? Is it like you guys? Is there two Mortons and they have to distinguish? Um, yeah, differentiate the whole Morton, time. the Norwegian from Matthew. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like they don't dislike him for being there, being a fifth wheel. They're all super quick to help him out when he gets hurt. They all seem to genuinely like him, even though he's kind of like the, you know, the silly comic relief you know, I don't need a girlfriend, I jerk off kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, they're real friends. Like, I understand that these people are friends. Another thing that, like, so many just don't get right at all. I'm usually just like, why do any of these people hang out? (laughs) They all seem to hate each other. (laughs) No, and I think that's a big point, too, because you mentioned drama before. And to me, I'm watching a slasher for the drama of the situation. You know, I'm, I'm watching a slasher because I'm tuning in to see people in peril and that should be dramatic enough should, i agree with you 100 cole prey gets right is giving you characters that you can relate to and that you can fall in love with a little bit as they are axed off because that will heighten the drama but you don't need i i've seen these indie slashers there was one called pitchfork and i i want to say there were like 10 characters and you know three of them are cheating on other spouses. Like two of them get pregnant out of nowhere and then die immediately. Or sorry, they announce they're pregnant out of nowhere just before they die. So like you can feel bad about it. And there are 20 different subplots that don't matter at all. And they just make you hate these characters more and more. And it just sucks the life out of any kind of emotion that can happen when a killer then offs one of these 10 nameless assholes who were just thrown on screen where Cole Prey is, it's not even a big body count. You know, we're only talking about a cast of five people and, you know, maybe not all of them even die. So the body count, it doesn't even have to be tremendous, but if the deaths matter, if we care about these people and we're connected enough to them where a few of the deaths are just really effective and really well done, that's still a much better horror film and a much better slasher, especially than the slasher film that throws a body count of 20 at you, but you just don't give a shit about any of the bodies in the pile. Yeah, you know, you don't want to be devastated when these people die. Like, you don't want to get, like, have, they can't be super, you, get, you just mentioned, what was it called, Pitchfork? I don't know. Yeah, you know, yep. <laughs> but yeah, making them pregnant is just a horrible thing to do. It's just like, now you're fucking completely bummed out that this person is dead. Like, you're like, ugh, like, there's no, you know, we are here to have a little bit of fun. And I think the movie really finds that balance really well where, you you know, you like the characters, but you're not like weeping when they die. You know what I mean? Like, but you're not cheering either, you know, right. which is something that a lot of them get wrong too. Whether you like them or not, they try, they tend to treat the, you know, the death scene as like this big heroic, you know, like, look at this, everybody cheer. Cause Jason just, you know, used this out of nowhere implement to kill the guy. I'm like, woo! You know, like, well, I mean, I guess Jason can get away with it just because it's like part nine or whatever. And like, it's like, all right, they got to, you know, they got to distinguish somehow. But here it's just like the kills are good, but they're not, you're not applauding for them. They're not like incredibly, you know, graphic or, you know, implementing some kind of strange uh, device to do it or, or even like going overboard with the gore, you know, the quote unquote money shot. They're just it's just a guy killing people with his pickaxe. You know, he's not he's not making a show out of it. So, you know, they they really do get that balance really 
really well they get it you know they it's right there on that fine line between i don't hate these people but i don't love them so much either that i'm bummed out by watching their you know, their demises because that's obviously yeah. kind of what we're here for if we're gonna watch a slasher movie if you watch a slasher movie nobody dies you haven't gotten you know what you've missed the slasher element yeah yeah <laughs> it's just a movie about people hanging out apparently um yeah, it's and well, you guys did the sequel, but you know the sequel got that right too. I think there's a third one, a prequel that I've not seen because it's not available in the US. I won't. I won't. I've heard too many bad things. I won't touch that one. Yeah, but I, I want to say kind of to echo what the two of you said. I mean, Donato has heard me talk on this show and in other places before about like exactly what you guys talked about. You need to make your characters likable for a slasher to work, but. I think what's interesting about Cold Prey specifically for me is that, you know, there is a certain subsection of horror fans. And over the years, the focus of the horror genre is sort of shifted away from the survivors to the killers. And that's fine. You know, there's a lot of people that are into it. Like you were saying, Brian, they want to see Freddie or Jason kill somebody in new and exciting ways. They aren't about the teenagers and the survival. Um, But I think one of the thing, one of the the things that this movie does that sort of tips the hand is the killer in this kind of sucks. And I don't mean that in terms of is not effective over the course of the film, but there aren't any of those flamboyant, flashy elements that you think of with like your self-aware slashers. That this is not a character that's designed to be an action figure later down the line or anything like that. He doesn't have much of a backstory, especially in this one. He doesn't have much of a backstory at all in the, the last few minutes of the movie. A lot of him is just sort of this ever-present force of death. And it really makes you think less about him and his motivations and more about the teenagers or the, the, the young adults, I'll say. And part of what makes that appealing for me is the fact that like, even we, again, the theme that comes up in this, this particular episode that I've enjoyed is the idea of what is horror learned from itself. A lot of people looked at classic movies like Halloween and said, Oh, it's this, you know, alpha and omega fight between the final girl and the, the killer. And that makes everybody else who's there collateral damage. They're there to die. Every, their entire purpose of them is to develop the character by dying. And this movie takes a moment and says, wait a second, like each of these people is a loss and it's not just a loss for the character it's also a loss for the audience we lose spending time with them when they die it's sad it remembers that there are that that there are more characters than just the killer and the final girl in a movie and it does that part right and it you know it makes you believe that maybe the final girl won't be the only one left alive you know i mean like there's a strong uh i won't say which character uh you know for the people that are going to track this down but there's another character who you watch the whole movie like survive a bit, you know what I mean? Like they're they're around longer than you might expect from Friday the Thirteenth Seven or something, and um, you get it's just like oh, okay, so I get to keep worrying for that person, you know? I'm never really worried about the final girl, you know? Yeah, every now and then they do kill. I, somebody was bringing up the other day the dorm the drip blood, uh, spoiler. Um, where they do kill the final girl and it's just like this weird like jesus like what the fuck's wrong with you people why'd you kill the final girl um you know but like uh it's rare to have that other person um and that you can kind of like shit are they gonna survive or not like you don't know and uh that's it's always nice when that happens you can't do it too often because then it's it's just another cliche that yeah, obviously there's going to be the secondary characters obviously going to live. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I did like that. In fact, I had forgotten whether or not, the only reason I kind of was like pretty sure was 
whether or not that because the sequel exists um right. that uh you know because the sequel picks up right you know where this one left off but uh it was, it was kind of fun to kind of go through that journey again like being like i can't really remember if this person dies or not <laughs> good luck this time <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this time, maybe this time I'll make it out of it. Maybe this time <laughs> like you were choose right. your own adventure DVD. All of a sudden, was this Final Destination three? Yeah, <laughs> I I want to talk about Cold Prey two just a little bit at the end because I you these movies are so you can't separate them in my book. Yeah. But you know, one thing we talk about the character work. There's going to be a lot of fans that are going to be excited to hear about that. There's going to be some people that are listening. They're just like, but like you know. What's the, is it a good horror movie? Are the scares effective? Is it bloody in all the right ways that I'm looking for? So, I, I I'm on. I love this movie. I don't have anything I need to say about it. So I want to listen to the two of you talk about the horror elements of it. Like, does it get the jump scares right? Does it get the stalking scenes right? Is that stuff entertaining in addition to being good character work? Yeah, they, there's one. There's one. I always like the the fake out where somebody opens a door, and it's framed in a way that us horror, died in the little horror fans are going to know that as soon as they shut the door, the killer's going to be right there on the other side. You know, like, um, you know, behind it, basically. It's hard to explain without a visual, but I'm sure basically the mirror scared over the door. You know, when somebody shuts the bathroom mirror, you know, the killer's behind them. Um, and there's one of those in that, but he's not there. And I love that because then it's like, it's like a reset and they get the editing just perfect for when he does jump out. You know, so you're still kind of like you haven't even fully recovered from the oh he's not there when the killer actually does jump out from a different position. And I like shit like that. Um, and you know, you were saying earlier that they, this killer's not somebody you want an action hero of or whatever action figure. Um, it, it's like they don't even show him in his entirety until like over yeah. an hour into the movie. He's just you know feet and stuff, and not in not in a kind of like cool reveal sort of way. No, just sort it's of just like, like it doesn't a matter, matter of fact. Yeah. Um, like honestly, if you show until yesterday, but if you'd show me a picture, I'd probably have trouble remembering who it was from, you know, because he's just kind of this like it's almost what's that what's that suit that the guys use? Um, the ghillie suit is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. More, you know, it's almost like one of those things, like just like the sort of like survivalist, you know, full body covering. You know, you can see a little bit of his face, but he's usually in the shadows or in the background or whatever, so you don't even fully get a sense of that until the very end when he's. You know they're out in the sun, and you know the the, the mask comes off a bit. Um, so yeah, I think they really do a good job with that sort of stuff because there's kind of like that creep element, like from the first Friday the Thirteenth. Like I really, I I, was, I rewatched all the Friday the Thirteenth a couple weeks ago, and Sh- Shutter did that marathon, and uh, obviously I've seen the movie a million times, but it never really dawned on me. Maybe just because I was just doing it back, you know, with all the others that the first one is really this kind of creepy movie and how cool it would have been to watch it in 1980, completely unaware, you know, because I know for me, I'm I, I wouldn't be surprised for you guys as well. It's always been the one that's not Jason. It's the one that's <laughs> his mom. You know what I mean? So you're always kind of watching it as this sort of less than thing, you know, versus what people in 1980 got, which are like, this is just a normal slasher movie. That's actually pretty good, but there's like a real element of creepiness to it. And I think it's because they don't show the killer ever. Like it's, it's again, it's just feet in the hand, you know, you don't ever see a full body. Uh, it's POV shots and stuff like that. Um, 
and and the Cole Prey gets a little. I, I, I assume I can't remember as it's been a while since I watched it. But I assume in the sequel, he's a little more heroic because now we know who he is. But in this one, he's really kind of confined, uh, you know, to to the you know, background and and quick shots, and, you know, underlit shots, so that you're never really getting him as the star, you know. Yeah, I mean, he to me, he kind of looked like he could have been an extra on John Carpenter's The Thing. Like yeah. he, he could have just been walking around in the background yeah. and that would have been exactly what he looked like to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I totally agree with what you were saying about the behind the door scare, because I noticed that so quickly and I noticed it for the exact same reason, because however many horror movies I see and however many indie horror movies think you have to do exactly what every horror, other horror movie has done. So mm-hmm. you have to have a mirror scare. You have to have a behind the door scare. Yeah. The, the issue is we always know we're coming. I see that door propped and the camera just racks focus yeah. right to the door. And you're like, okay, yeah. so it's perfectly in frame now. Something's behind it. Yeah. And Cold Prey, it does it that one time, but it plays with preconceptions, a few other shots too. And you know, I, I won't detail them all, but it does a really good job of like, there's one where uh, McCall is walking down a hallway that is dimly lit there's doors on both his sides. He's mm-hmm. just kind of like meandering and not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And the way the camera focuses, you're like, okay, so the killer's going to jump out of one of these doors and rip him inside. Like, yeah. that's just what you're waiting for. It's what it's yeah. building up, but it never happens. Yeah. And it does these never happen moments a few <laughs> different times, but it, I never got sick of them because like no. your heart is still racing a little bit and your heart is, yeah. our brain is programmed to think this is going to happen. We've seen it too many times, but it never does. And that's what I, I love that element of horror when yeah. it can make you scared without even doing what you think it's going to do. It, it's it's like a neurological game. It, it's weird. And they split up, and the, the characters split up in natural, normal ways. They never, yes. like, split up to look for somebody or whatever. So, you know, and because for most of the movie they're unaware that there's any issue, you know, it, you really get a sense of whenever somebody, like, oh, let me go look at the generator, or, you know, I'm, I'm hungry, maybe we'll get some food. And we follow them. You're never sure. It's just like, okay, well, I know the killer's not there. I know that he's off doing this thing right now. You know, he could be anywhere. And it keeps all those kind of mundane moments suspenseful because, you know, again, because they've kind of kept him to the sidelines, you're not, you know, fully tracking him every step of the way. And, uh, you know, that's another thing I think it does really well. It's able to generate suspense without even really doing much just because the, 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 you know, the, the logistics of the location lent itself well to we're going to split up. Like, you know, like the, the girl, the guy gets, you know, they have a little fight over not having sex. So the guy kind of goes off and she stays in the room, you know, and then he goes up to apologize and she's already dead, but you know, he's thinking she's just ignoring him. She's still mad at him. So he kind of goes off again, you know, it's just like, all right, these are normal reasons for the people to be isolated, you know, uh, the one guy has his leg broken, so he can't go far, far you know. Uh, and it's just, you know, they just, I keep saying it, but they just get it right. Yeah. And, you know, and it applies to that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a, the, uh, one kill in particular, or one, one scene in particular that, that I always think of when I think of this movie. And that's the one where two of the characters are watching through a window as another character is going through a shed outside. Right. And it, as I think about it, I realize that I've only ever seen this scene done kind of like um two ways which is either we watch this this slow stock this slow scene where you know these two people these the killer and the character are doomed to collide usually i'm part of the audience and only the audience is seeing it 
or mm. usually the killer pops up out of nowhere, stabs or or murders the person, and then there's a big scream and everybody runs. Yeah. But it's the first time that I've watched characters watch a character be mm. doomed, and it's yeah. a really it's a really effective little spook because you know it's either really fast or mm. the other characters aren't part of it at all, and yeah. to kind of like have to live with them living with what they see about to happen, you're like, oh, this is this gets this this gets on your skin a little bit. This is well done, and they do they do a good job. Um, of balancing the point where they're oblivious to where they know they're in danger. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, can sink or swim, you know, a, a slasher movie. I think if you go too long with all the characters being oblivious, especially if it's a crime, I mean, Halloween gets away with it because there's only two other people across the street. So it's, you know, okay. It's not like Lori would have been, hmm, where is it? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but when you have like, the one that drives me nuts is fucking Madman. I know people love Madman, but that movie is literally nonstop series of people going like, hey, where's Jimmy? He hasn't come back for a while. I'm going to go look for him. Then they die. And then it's like, where'd Jeff go? Like, oh, he went to go look for Jimmy. Oh, I'm going to go find Jeff. And then they die. So it's like, where did Carl go? Like, Carl went to find Jeff. Who went to find Jimmy? Oh, well, I'm going to go find Carl. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, when are you people going to realize that something's fucking wrong here? You know, like, idiots. Um but you know when they when they find out too early, that also kind of gives them, makes them kind of stupid because like you know uh, and a couple of the Friday Thirteenth uh, eight in particular which I and I like eight I, I give eight more cred than most people will afford eight Manhattan but they find out about Jason way too early I think and I think that may be part of what makes the movie kind of boring for people because it's um, you know there's never they don't have fun for long enough. And there's not that natural kind of splitting up. And so it's just like they're constantly on alert. And then it's just like, well, you're, you know, it's this one guy. And now everything you do is kind of stupid, you know, for the movie to work. So you got to find that right balance of like letting them be oblivious for a while, but not so long that it's just like the movie has to be over by the time anybody else is aware, anybody that might survive is aware of the killer, you know? So this one does it good. I think they're, they're hip to the guy. I think after the second death is when they're, yeah, the two of them dead. And then there's three left and that's when they're like, shit, there's, you know, a killer here. And that's when they kind of get more, you know, they go on the defense. For, that's a lot of awareness per square feet, considering how big the space they're in. Is that, I, I accept the math on that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to ask, um, as our, as our last question here, Brian, I want to ask yeah. you kind of about the reception of this. Cause you said before you were shocked that there were zero reviews of this on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't even remember who recommended this. It must've been Rob Hunter who recommended this on Twitter for me. And I had to go to a video store and get it. You know, accessibility is always part of the problem for a lot of these horror films that we talk about, but Mm. like, what, what do we need to do to make this a household name? Like, what do we need to do to make this the sort of title when somebody says slashers aren't good and they're like, ah, but 2006 cold prey, let's talk about that one. How does, how does it kind of generate a little bit more knowledge with even within the horror community? Um, I would, I would, Love if Shutter could. I know Shutter had three at one point, which we mentioned earlier has never been released in the U.S. But I guess in the U.K. they had all of them apparently, because I looked oh, wow. it up again last night. Because again, I was just like, "Is Coldplay three ever coming out here?" And it's like, "Nope, apparently not. It's still not available." But I got excited for a second because I just Googled it and then I see a Shutter link. I'm like, "What the fuck? It's on Shutter? Like, how yeah. did I miss this?" But it's it's Shutter UK, which gets different movies than us. I'm not sure if it's still on there. Um, so uh, your UK uh, audience listener, you know, singular, <laughs> they, they, they might know what's up. 
Um, but you know, Shutter US could get a hold of at least the first one. That would be another. I know the second, the first one was Anchor Bay. The second one was Screen Factory. Actually, it might have been just in Shout Factory. It might have been before the Screen Factory label existed, uh, but also just on DVD. Uh, so, but yeah, if they're not available streaming VOD, then they have no chance anymore because not everybody's going to be like me or you guys and just be like, all right, I'll get a physical copy of this movie. Like, you know, that just, that's just too much work for some people now. Um, and, uh, and that's even if it's actually available. It's only available for third-party people. Yeah, then it's completely on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we we could talk about it all we want, but if nobody can actually get a copy of it, that's kind of kind of moot. Um, but yeah, you know, if Shutter could pick it up, or just you know, even Amazon Prime or whatever, however they navigate their weird rights issues things. I mean, a trilogy set would be lovely, um, just to get them all in one place for once, and let me finally see the third one that apparently kind of sucks, but I still want to see it. I'd host a screening of it tomorrow if I could. I would go up, to but, where yeah. you are to watch that screening for sure. <laughs> we, we would we would split everybody up. <laughs> yeah. You can go on Amazon right now, and uh, for twelve forty seven, you can get a used like new copy of Cold uh, Prey uh, in yeah. the original blockbuster case. It's actually Ooh. highlighting the fact that it's in a blockbuster case, and I think that's, that's why it's that extra ten. You know, because I see <laughs> some other ones here that are like four dollars, and I mean honestly, like. I might order one of these for just $4, like whatever. I, I can take someone's used copy, but um, you know, I think when we always talk about it and we always talk about why was it ignored. And again, I can go on Rotten Tomatoes and even myself, you know, being the critic on some of these find a horror movie that I guarantee you, no one has heard of yet. It still has more Rotten Tomatoes reviews than something like Cold Prey when it's mentioned in our circles and it's mentioned with other critics and stuff, they're immediately going, yeah, I love that movie, but then there's still no reviews on it. And we have to think about if it played any festivals, we have to think about um, at the time, 2006, obviously not much, not much going on in genre representation on Rotten Tomatoes. So all that stuff playing into it, it I think it's just a really weird time for an amazing movie to fall through the uh, cracks because mm. it wouldn't fall through the cracks in today's day and age. I mean, if oh, it no. came out today at, yeah. at Fantastic Fest, we know how many people would be thumping this and how many people would be yeah. saying you have to see it. So I think this was just a product of, of, the, of the era it came out. And that's weird to say, but I mean, 2006 is quite a damn long time ago at this point. I'm actually going to look because now what I'm thinking now too is I think that when it came out from Anchor Bay, they did DVD only. Yeah, so I got it in 2009. So it probably came out you know, late 2008 or whatever. But uh, right, yeah, exactly. You know, that, that was when the transition from DVD to Blu-ray was like really taking hold. You know, like the 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 initial HD DVD versus Blu-ray war had ended, with Blu-ray becoming the victor, and then everything was starting to get, you know, released on that. And I think movies that were DVD only, like this one was, started slipping through the cracks then, and now it's just even worse because it didn't even make the jump to streaming or anything. And also, again, it's from a distributor that no longer exists. So it's just like, it just kind of got fucking hammered, you know, across the board. And, you know, this is, it, Anchor Bay put this out, you know, the same time they were doing Hatchet and um, Behind the Mask and stuff like that. But those movies had, well, Hatchet had the sequels and had the, you know, both of them had Robert England and, and Kane Hodder, you know. So it's like those movies got that extra boost from the horror 
you know, the horror sites because, you know, just the name recognition got them out there more and got them into more people's hands. But this is, you know, a little Norwegian movie from a, a first time. I think it was a, that this is his first film, um, his first feature film. Yeah, his first full length film anyway. So, you know, it's just like, well, what is this? You know, you have Hatchet and Behind the Mask, which are Hatchet's doing the thing that we were talking about earlier with like the, the amazing, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, death scenes and like the iconic killer that you can get an action figure of. And Behind the Mask is going, you know, into the cleverness and doing something really cool. And Coldplay is just a regular slasher. And it, as good as it is, it's kind of hard to fight for attention both from the fans and I would assume from Anchor Bay because if they, you know, all three, again, all three of these movies kind of came out around the same time. And it's just like, all right, we have this one that's, you know, obviously the star of a new franchise. We have this one with that's, you know, got rave critical reviews and has, you know, a, a terrific Robert England performance. And then we have this Norwegian thing with a, you know, a guy in a ski mask. You know, so it's like, okay, well, you know, which, which ones are we going to really pump and which ones are we going to just, you know, hope for the best for? Um, yeah. And I think that's a big point too. saying again, even 2009, you know, because it didn't come out in 2006 for the US. I mean, it was 2007 for the UK. It was 2009 for the US. All those reasons you, uh, reasons you just listed. Then you also have to think in number one, international. 100% people were not as into international cinema as they are now, especially horror fans who just at the time wanted something simple and wanted something they can do. And subtitles did not fit into that, into what they wanted. And number two, the stigma of VOD and straight to DVD at the time. Again, it, it was different then. I think VOD was a harder sell when something just went right there. So that stigma existed for a reason. We know now, years later, because VOD is a, it's a, just a viable option for films that can't go theatrical and can do better on VOD and doesn't mean a quality thing. But in 2009, it had some quality connotations. So I think that's a good point right there. That's two huge reasons why it fell through. And it didn't really have festival hype because it played in 2007. It did Slam Dance, uh, Cleveland International, and Amsterdam Fantastic Fest. 2007, a little later, it did London Fright Fest, which, I mean, London Fright Fest is a bigger deal. I mean, that's fine. But nothing else really after that. So it didn't have that kind of U.S. Uh, festival representation. So maybe everyone in Norway knew about it. Maybe everyone overseas knew about it. But it just didn't. Yeah, it, it, over here, it was just another random international horror film that everyone was kind of like, well, I'm just going to go rent Hatchet. And, uh, you know, maybe if uh, Tomb Raider had turned out better or a bigger hit, maybe people would be more excited about seeing the guy's older movies. Because uh, I don't want to get too far off track, but all of his movies, I think, are worth tracking down. Um, uh, he did The Wave. I guess The Wave would be like the closest thing he had to like a sort of breakthrough here, because at least people kind of saw it and it played theaters. Um, limited release. I forget who did it. Probably you know IFC or one of those. I think it was Magnet uh, actually. Magnet. Some okay, yeah, it was Magnet. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because um, I got to go see that in theaters. So, um, but he did another one uh, that's called I forget the Norwegian name. It's called Escape, um, in, in English, and it's got the same girl from Coldplay. The the final girl from Coldplay is the villain, um, and it's basically. <laughs> I've described it as medieval judgment night. It's um, a girl, uh, a, you know, there's like, the, it's during the plague, I think. And a girl's family gets killed and the girl gets away and the people that killed her just chase her through the, you know, through the plague and medieval, uh, you know, highlands or whatever the hell it was, mountains of Norway. Of Norway. Um, 
holy shit, I want to watch and, that. Uh, it's fucking great. <laughs> and she like starts to fight back. I, I mean, it, of all of his movies, it's clearly, I, I would think, the one that got him the Tomb Raider gig. And it's a really fucking cool movie. Um, so I've been, you know, ever since Cold Prey, I've been like keeping my eye on this guy. And uh, I'm just constantly waiting for him to get that, you know, that kind of big breakthrough. And I thought Tomb Raider might be it, but didn't, didn't, I mean, it wasn't a complete disaster, but it wasn't exactly a, let's not say, let's just say it's not his best film. <laughs> it wasn't the launching pad that everyone no, thought no. it might be yeah, into yeah. Hollywood stardom. <laughs> yeah, I checked, I checked his IMDb. It does not look like he's gotten any, uh, anything else big going yet. Well, and they and gave, not, they and gave he's not ben, doing a sequel. Yeah. I was going to say they gave Ben Wheatley the sequel. So yeah. <laughs> they got his, his American, his, well, his British counterpart in terms of like <laughs> movies that never get released. Oh my uh, God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I suppose when you have less marketability than Ben Wheatley, to yeah. on, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't know how you're doing. The first one didn't, didn't, didn't wow enough audiences. We need some of the sharp commercial instincts of Ben Wheatley. <laughs> uh, well, there it is. Um, Go find, go find Cold Prey if you can. Dig it up. Make Brian and the Mats very happy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of movies that are released that don't deserve the recognition they get more than this. So collectively, everyone help us write that wrong. Uh, Brian, uh, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, man. And I want to give you an opportunity. I know that um, you are going to be, you've got a, a, an old familiar venue that you're picking up with. So where are um, where are some places that people can go to check out your writing and, and follow you on social media? I'm on I'm on Twitter at Brian W Collins um, and uh, Instagram the same if you like pictures of jigsaw puzzles but that's pretty much all I use my Instagram for um, and uh, yeah I still write for Birth Movies Death and uh, occasionally for Fangoria and uh, when time allows I update horror movie a day which you know again is very very erroneously titled at this point <laughs> there's a little disclaimer at the top like it's not a day anymore don't give me shit. That's good um, SEO though. You can't go back on that SEO. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't think I read any of it. And I have a book, Horror Movie Day, the book, which has, I believe Cold Prey is in there. If not, then it should be. Um, but it's, uh, it's based based on the side I picked, you know, basically um, kind of like what you guys do. Movies that kind of fell through the cracks. I picked uh, a year's worth of movies that were not as popular and did not get uh, you know, old and new. It's not not just newer stuff. It goes mm-hmm. all the way back to the you know uh, nineteen twenty two or something like that. I think. Um, but uh, you know, mo- movies that not every horror, horror fan has seen. They're not all perfect films. There's they're not even all great films, but they're all you know. I, from watching a movie every single day in my life for six plus years, these three hundred and sixty five struck a chord, and they stuck out for one reason or another. So uh, you know, I highlighted those and gave you a recommendation for every day of the year. So you can get that book. You can get that book on Kindle if you like. It's it's cheaper. You know, if you want a big doorstop, you can get the physical version. It's a pretty fucking heavy book. <laughs> just making sure there's not like you they can't order it through your website or anything. They did they don't No, do just Amazon. Okay. I, I mean it, it was self published through Amazon. So I mean that's gotcha. that's basically the best way, yeah. Unless you have a you know like here in LA we have dark delicacies. They carry it. So if you have like a horror uh, themed bookstore in your area and they're open right now, then maybe they have it. Nice. Yeah. Donato, how do people follow you? You've got a, you've got, I feel like you've sort of stepped into these shoes of watching everything regardless of quality. So how do people follow your adventures? Uh, my exploits are mostly recorded on Twitter at Donato bomb. You can also find me on Instagram and letterbox at the same name. 
And you can find my writing on such websites right now is mainly Nerdist, Flickering Myth, uh, Blade Disgusting, and a few other notables that I will just tweet out anyway. But uh, yeah, if you want to follow my my horror a, horror a kind of day journey, I guess not to not to rip <laughs> that completely, but horror yeah, mostly kind of a day at times. Just follow me on Twitter. And I'll tweet out the posters, and you'll see them and go, "Why the fuck is he watching that?" And honestly, most of the time, the answer is I don't fucking know. Yeah, and if you're a publicist, I mean, come on, you've never had an easier mark in your life than Matthew Donato. Um, as for myself, you can follow me on Twitter at Labsplice, L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. Um, and yeah, I write for the Austin Chronicle. I write for the playlists. I've got bylines at a couple of different places. So come check us out. I cannot claim to be anywhere as prolific as these two gentlemen, but uh, you know, I do what I can with what I've got. Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. Um, hey, really, really glad you were here to preach the good word of Cold Prey because, like I said, mm-hmm. this is one of my absolute favorite horror movies. I'm not a slasher guy. This is this is a step outside of my comfort zone for me, but I fucking love it. And I'm, I, it makes me so happy. We've had 16 episodes, 15 episodes, and two of them are the Cold Prey movies. That's absolutely <laughs> what I'm here for. Donato, you want to take us out? <laughs>